Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to the Japanese Studies channel on the New Books Network. I'm John Trapagan, your host for this podcast and a professor of anthropology in the Department of Religious Studies and the Program in Human Dimensions of Organizations at the University of Texas at Austin. Today, I am pleased to welcome Professor Kimiko Tanaka to talk about her recent book, Successful Aging in a Rural Community in Japan, which was published by the Carolina Academic Press in 2021. Professor Tanaka, thank you very much for joining me on the Japanese Studies channel. Thank you so much for the wonderful opportunity, John. I'm so excited to finally have a chance to talk with you. Your work has been so much inspiration to me, so I'm so thrilled. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And and it is, is a fact our work has a great deal of overlap, and so this should be a really fun conversation. I'm looking forward to this Um I'll begin with a little bit of background. Dr. Tanaka is an associate professor of sociology at James Madison University, and she completed her graduate work at Michigan State. And as I said, I'm quite looking forward to the conversation because her research focuses on a variety of things that I've been interested in throughout much of my career, like family demography, aging in the life course, culture of death and dying, research methods, sociology of health and illness. And... um, this is all focused around Japan, and and as we're going to talk about, um, Japan is an interesting place because it is facing issues related to the population and to aging uh, that are, I guess I would say, sort of at the cutting edge of what's happening in many parts of the world. So we'll come back to that in a few minutes. Um, I think I'd like to just ask, you know, begin by asking how you became interested in the topic of aging in rural communities in Japan. I mean, I know why you're interested because I'm interested in it too. Uh, but that's not a, a, you know, it's not kind of like a thing. Wow. Gee, everybody wants to know about aging in rural communities in Japan. So how did you get into this and what made it, what motivated you to write this book? Okay. I grew up in rural Japan myself. So I saw the population aging in my rural towns. So for example, classroom got smaller for younger generations and many people left for urban areas for jobs and college and they never came back. So local theater, for example, started to have more shows targeted for the elderly. And Kawane Honcho, which is a depopulated rural town I studied was a place for family vacation when I was young. So when I was young, I remember there were so many local kids with their parents doing fishings and camping and swimming during the summer. But as I get older and I visit the town, it's almost impossible to miss that the change of increasing number of the elderly in a town and one of the reasons out migration of the young population. And today this town, Kawane Honcho, is labeled as depopulated. And the word depopulation gives such a negative impression. But when I actually visit the town and talk with our rural people, local people and the elderly, the town has various activities for the elderly, and the elderly is really having a great time talking to each other, becoming like having a great friendship from one another. And they enjoy chatting with their friends and gardenings and to share vegetables. And 
that towns at the same time when I started to be interested in this town, the town also started to be featured on a TV shows for healthy Asians because mm. the town is known for a healthy Asians. And they talked about green tea drinking as a factor, the major cause, because the town is famous for green tree farming. Mm. But I felt that there's more than just taking a green tea. And mm. probably this community might have a strong impact on the why people are so vibrant and healthy. So that's why I decided to study this town over the five years, planning for the five years to study this town. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I think, you know, you, you allude to something that is just unavoidable at this point in time. When you go to a town in rural Japan, you don't see children much. That's true. It, it's, it's shocking at times. You can be walking around in the middle of town and there's nobody under the age of 50 walking around. And in fact, there are towns where there is nobody under the age of 50. And so mm-hmm. um, you talk about, you know, early in the book, you just mentioned this issue of out-migration from rural areas and and the problems of a skewed age structure in, in a lot of the municipalities in rural Japan. So could you talk a little more about that? Um, what's the overall demographic environment of rural Japan like? I think it would help to give our listeners sort of a context for this because it's difficult to imagine if you're, you know, living in a city in, in the United States or a suburban area or something like that, what, what these places are like and, and, and the, the, the very unusual population structure that's going on there. Okay. So aging in a rural town is one of the, I consider it's one of the serious social issue in Japan. And many rural towns were merged, which is called Heisei Gappe, that they are merged to the from small towns merged because there are not enough people to run the towns, especially one of the issues, they don't have enough kids to run the schools. That is one of the reasons for the merger. And two major causes behind it is a population aging, which is elders are living longer. And another factor, which is a big factor, is our migration of the young people. They left for job and employment and they, they never came back. And the young people left rural towns and that is causing the depopulation. And that is creating the possibility of further merger. So the town I studied was called Kawane Honcho, which is a merger of two towns, Kawanecho and Hon- two towns. So they already merged between two neighboring towns. So one of the anxiety people in Kawane Honcho and other people in a rural area have is a further merger to the nearby cities because they fear that the town would be led by somebody who doesn't understand the uniqueness of the local areas. And in Akawane Honcho, there's a discussion whether to merge the elementary school even further. And some people go against it because that's going to link to losing more children. And that's going to be so less attractive to the newcomers when there's no school. So there's a lot of debate about whether we're going to merge the elementary school further. And that is happening a lot of rural areas. And one of the important thing is that many rural towns in Japan has a regional festival at the shrines and the temples to thank to the gods that they are protecting them. And they do a dance and sing songs. And, and if there is no young people, then those things are passed down not just by textbook, but just by from generation to generation by teaching them in person. So losing the young negative young people negatively really impacts the town. And in the past, because of that, in the past there was a tendency for many rural towns not to welcome newcomers. They're different, but today because of this obvious population aging, those buses picking up the kindergarten kids. Now they are picking up the elderly for the senior center and there's no buses for the little ones. So now there are various rural towns are trying to come up with these creative ideas. So which is also creating the diversity among the rural towns. Yeah, I think, you know, what what is sort of striking that a number that always sticks in my head about this is when you look at government projections for the Japanese population, you know, they're, Japan is already losing population pretty rapidly. And there are about 125 million Japanese today. And kind of the, the worst case scenario, if nothing changes, is by the end of this century, there'll be about 45 to 50 million Japanese. Mm. It's an astonishing transition over a pretty short period of time. 
and the rural areas are way out on the cutting edge of this. Um, like the town where I do my research right now is between 35 and 40% over the age of 65. Um, and it is a town that has resisted this, this uh, amalgamation um, because they are fortunate to have a Toyota factory in the town. So that has given them some capacity to manage that. But the neighboring towns, I think uh, it was about 10 years, 10 or 15 years ago, um, five of the neighboring towns merged into one city for precisely the reasons that you talk about. And, and you look around at schools and um, both of my kids went to school in, in this little town where I do my research. And they were in an elementary school that had been designed for about 200 students and they had about 60. And um, that's just, you know, common. So these things you describe, you, you know, I, I think what's powerful about this is that you're seeing it all over Japan. It, it's all happening in all the rural areas. It will eventually happen in even the urban areas. And so this is a really important theme that runs through the book. Is and, and I think you use these terms rural and you talk about depopulation. And I, I like the way that you raise this point that, that you know, depopula- depopulation and these kinds of terms have a way of creating a sense of negativity about what's going on. And you don't want to do that. Um, you want to talk about um, you know, the, the image of negative social and health outcomes for older people. Um, but then recognize that there's a lot more going on in these rural areas. And so, um, you know, if you look in rural Japan, um, there are significant changes and challenges that people in those areas are facing. And I think it would be really interesting if you could sort of elaborate a bit for our listeners on the role that community plays in shaping, the potential negative impacts experienced for older people, as well as the positive and kind of, you know, how does, how does community shape their experiences? And again, I know in, in my experience, I've found it can be mixed. There's can be these programs that create a sense of community, but then I've been told um, older people don't want to go to the programs because they don't know anyone there. And so there's this kind of very interesting dynamic um, that's going on related to the depopulation and creating these programs. So could you talk a bit about that? So it's interesting to compare with, with the Western perspective because Western studies tends to consider like education, occupation as an important factor behind a life expectancy. But when I spent five years every summer in the, this town, I couldn't observe that in a Kawane Honcho. Many people do not have this college degree. And the cost of the land and the house is much cheaper in Kawane Honcho. So they have a pretty big house and they grow vegetables in the garden and they have less exposure to Western diet. So all these factors, other than they don't have a high educational status or occupational status, but all those factors in a community is bringing them to have the healthy life expectancy. And not only they are physically healthy, but they're also mentally healthy because they have this tight community. They can depend on one another. If they have some trouble, they can just knock on the door. Or they just can go to the, use the back door to get help. So American culture tends to value independence. So I teach social gerontology. So when I visit the elderly home, one of the reasons they move to the institution is they don't want it to be dependent on the kids. Right. But in a Kawane Honcho, people are quite happy dependent on one another when those people are attending activities. They ask for help or they ask for vegetables or salt or soy sauce or whatever they need for cooking and they just can go neighbor to ask for their help. So, but influenced by Western culture, Japanese people started to value independence, especially for the younger generation. So, increasing number of the nuclear family in Japan is a good example. But uh, today, children are more likely to move away and the elders are more likely to live alone and live longer. So one of the concerning questions both in the United States and in Japan is who will look after your emotional health if you, mm-hmm. your spouse or partner pass away? So one of the strengths in a rural Japan, especially in a Kawane Honcho, is being able to depend on one another throughout the life course of the friendship. And that could be taken negatively in a aging in the United States. Yeah. But being able to depend on one another through local festival and green tea farming can be a significant factor. And possibly that is a strength of the 
those rural elderly in Kawane Honcho to remain really emotionally healthy at the age 80 and cognitive health cognitively, physically, and emotionally healthy at the age of 80 and 90s. And, but the challenge would be those elderly who like to attend the activity, they could be dependent on one another and they have a stronger networks. But there's also elderly who, is, who feel like hesitant to attend these activities because they need to rely on a transportation. Right. And that also the strong network of the community is influencing the younger generation that their kids, sons and daughters are in the 60s and 70s and they do not want to attend the same program with their parents because that is a way they could get away from their parents. So another negative possible outcome is that because the community is so strong, dependent on one another, it's easy for them to be dependent on one another. That could create the outsider to feel burdened when they move to the rural areas, somebody gonna just leave the vegetable on the front without expectation of returning some some return. So that could make the newcomers feel burdensome to move to to a blend into these rural areas. Yeah, I think um, a couple of really interesting points that you raised there that, you know, one thing is that in many cases the care providers for older people are themselves in their 60s, at least, mm-hmm. uh, with, you know, parents who are in their 80s or 90s. And that means, you know, they've they've retired and they're looking for things to do. Uh, but that's a very interesting observation. They don't want to do what their parents are doing and, and probably don't want to be conceived of as elderly in the way their parents are being conceived of as well. So there's a kind of an identity issue that comes into this. And I think also, yeah, the, the I, I always look at, you know, Japan as a society that emphasizes interdependence as opposed to independence. There's a sense that everybody kind of has to look out for each other. And you, you see it in all areas, but it's very powerful in rural areas. Um, but it also can mean, you know, problems of things like privacy. And, you know, people are paying attention to what you're doing. I, I, um, I've i never forgotten one time I, I'm unfortunately blessed with a tendency to have horrible sneezing fits and I can sneeze like 30 or 40 times in a row. And one morning I had one of these in my house in in rural Japan and, you know, got through it. And a couple hours later, I was walking through the center of the village and ran into somebody and she said, "Uh, did you catch a cold? I'm like, Mm -hmm. what? 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 What do you mean? She said, well, I heard you sneezing this morning. <laughs> and, um, you know, there's this kind of really awareness of other people. And, and it's a genuine concern. But if you've spent your life in an urban area or most of your adult life in an urban area, it's different in Japan. People are less attuned. And so I can imagine that being kind of um, difficult. Um, the other thing I thought was really interesting, you talk about education and the idea of these programs and I, um, in my own work, I ran across things like Koresha uh, Daigaku, which uh, means, you know, college for older people. And when I first saw that, I thought, oh, wow, this is an educational kind of thing. And, and they were learning to do things like magic tricks and stuff like that. It isn't, the, the concept of it was different from how I thought about education. It was much more learning and activity. The learning matters. Uh, and these, in my, my town, these were kind of set in, um, what they called um, Shogai Kyoiku Senta, which means lifelong learning centers. Uh, but these were really part of the Kominkan system, the community center system. Um, so they're, they're more like hobby activities, but there is a learning component to that. And so I thought it's interesting the way, you know, people in Japan think about learning in later life and what is education is a little different from what you might find in the U.S. Um, so... Um, you use the term successful aging in the title. And so as an anthropologist, I almost instantly had problems with it. Um, (laughs) And I I think, you know, the term, of course, it has been criticized by anthropologists who work on aging, uh, largely because of the way it's tended to be used in gerontology circles, um, where there's a, 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 a sort of a trend to construct the idea of successful aging and sometimes kind of simplistic or one-dimensional terms that really don't reference cultural variation. And of course, you don't do this at all. You, you're, you're very, very, uh, you know, astute about this. And I thought you did a really nice job of addressing this. Um, 
and addressing the sense of how successful aging in rural Japan is really tied to the local experience and to cultural values. So I am curious, why did you choose to use the term? Um, and also, how do you think local conditions influence what, what's a successful late life? That's an excellent point, John. When I came up with a title, when I submit the proposal, I use the word successful simply because the outcome of the healthy life expectancy. So that is a healthy life expectancy is an average number of disability-free years. And in Kawanet Honcho, at the 65th birthday, for men, they have almost 20 years of healthy life expectancy and 25 years for women. So when we, we attend these programs, you are right, those programs, it says it's an educational daigaku or educational program, but it's, that is for them to depend on one another, chat to one another, and they spend so much time on talking to one another. And as I read more about aging in the rural towns and talking with the elderly, I realized that successful aging cannot be just determined by outcome, like how long they live, how much financial security they have, but it is a process starting from the childhood. And community is kind of playing the big part of connecting the childhood and adulthood. So one of the questions I talk, when I talked to the elderly attending the program, one of the questions I asked was, what is the ikigai? Translated mm -hmm. as purpose of living or the reason for being. When I ask these questions to my university students, they have a hard time answering this question, but Japanese people, this ikigai is almost like one of the keyword. When you start to think about retirement, you wanted to look for books or the um, dramas about ikigai. They always look for ikigai, which go yep. beyond the retirement stage. And the many elderly I talked with grew up in a rural town. And when they are young, they help the parents and gra grandparents grow vegetables and delivering them to the neighbors and drop it off to the neighbors and helped one another through local fe festivals and green tree farming. And when I asked, what is your ikigai to the elderly, they told me that growing vegetables and attending activity, chatting with their friends in the same community, helping their neighbors and seeing friends and families at the local festivals and shrines. And so there is a connection between what they did when they were a child, when they were young in a Kawane Honcho to what they consider ikigai when they answer those questions. And the community is providing these activities. So community is kind of providing lifelong kind of activities for the elderly to consider that they are part of it from the childhood. So each rural community is quite different. So there's no one definitive process of successful aging in a, that is universal to all the rural town in Japan. And I find your question quite important because it's great to have a conversation. What is successful beyond numbers, mm -hmm. such as how much retirement fund you're going to have and the life expectancy. And it is kind of important to see how the community you grew up with when you are young and how that's going to influence your definition of Ikigai. And Kawane Honcho, the rural town I study, is many of the people who never left the town, they consider what they have been doing throughout their life course as their Ikigai. Yeah, I think um, I'm really glad you brought up that word because that, that term floats around in Japan mm -hmm. all over the place. And it's particularly important for older people. And, you know, there's a couple of really important things here. One is I like the way you recast the concept of aging. I have always been troubled how the term is used to mean old. We start aging from the moment we're born. And, you know, it's, it's this long process that goes on. And we go through different phases with it. And we have different abilities and experiences, but it isn't something that just happens later in life. And I've always been troubled by the way that somehow that term got used to describe the end of life or the latter part of life. But Ikigai is, is um, you know, to, to understand how profound this can be for people, older people in particular who perceive of themselves as not having an Ikigai may actually be at higher risk of suicide. It's it's that powerful. You must have this going on. And I think this gets into this issue of interdependence because it's fine to be interdependent, but it's not okay to be a burden. And if you, if you have an ikigai, 
then you're doing the things that, that, you know, would help you to be inter- interdependent, but also keep yourself healthy enough that you, you don't become a burden. And it's like, this is a very complicated inter- interaction of concepts and ideas that go on. Um, and I think Ikigai is at the center of this. It, it really is. And, and it's, it really shapes the way older people think about their experiences individually and also with other people. Um, you make a really interesting observation. I, I, at one point, I think in chapter six, you talk about, um, I'm going to quote here. You write, in designing programs for the elderly, municipal employees did not simply print out handouts they received from the government. Rather, they translate difficult terms related to policies and health into the local dialect, illustrated with pictures. Now, uh, this I, I read it and I thought, yeah, this is what I've seen so many times. Is you know, first of all, you have these local health workers who are deeply committed to what they're doing, but also this really brings up a common misunderstanding that Japan is a homogeneous society, and it, it isn't. <laughs> um, and you think about things like local dialects. Um, so, the area where I do my research. Um, the terminologies that people use are just different from standard Japanese. So they say things like ndanda, you know, which means height or yes. Um, and, and it gets far, far more complicated than that as, as they, you know, get into this to the point that, uh, while most of them will understand standard Japanese reasonably well, they're comfortable in that dialect. And they actually, um, can struggle with talking to younger people because younger people don't necessarily use the dialect. So I thought that was actually a really important point. Um, and you, you paint this picture of, you know, the kind of tireless, tireless efforts of, of public workers um, to ensure that older people get the information they need and that they understand the programs. And um, you also point out that a lot of people don't make a lot of use of the internet, which I think is, is interesting. Um, everybody's got a cell phone. Although a lot of people I know up there, particularly older people, have flip phones. They don't have smartphones. They don't really engage the Internet. And so I was wondering if you could describe some of these kinds of programs that are available for elders in the community that you study. What, what kinds of programs do they put together? Okay, so recently government put more responsibility on municipal government to take, come up with a program to keep the elderly healthy as long as possible. And the staff from the municipal welfare office use, one of the interesting things they use is kamishibai, which is a picture show, that's a Japanese way of showing a picture show that consists of like 10 or 12 illustrated papers to tell stories. So there's no words, but just stories. And that was kind of way of storytelling when these elderly were very young and there was no TV. So... When the staff starts the kamishibai, when they start to show a big board and they say they're going to start the kamishibai, the elderly look so excited because they know that they're about to hear a story, not just a, not, not about government documents. And Japanese government documents, like American government documents, are written for a formal language and has no example, no story, no pictures. So municipal welfare workers kind of digest a document nobody could understand, such as a long-term care insurance system, to kamishibai, to stories with the pictures mm-hmm. and illustrations. And so one of them I observed was, uh, one of the kamishibai started with a picture of the old lady in a hospital. And using the local dialect, the staff started the story that Michiko-san was 80 years old, hospitalized in a city because of the medical condition, but she really wanted to go home and showing the picture of the, she really wanted to go home, and but she did not know any options. So municipal workers, they show another, they flip the page and the municipal welfare worker came to the hospital, talked to the doctor and the family to figure out the way she could get support to go back home. So illustrations and the stories were really helpful to understand options they have. And municipal welfare workers really good at changing the speed and the tone and make it really interesting. Mm. So health literacy is one of the big issue in United States that elders are not informed about options. But when I talk with the elder in Kawane Honcho, they kind of be able to explain the option, also the elders in 90s and 90s. 
some of them are centenarians, but they could explain what kind of options they have at the hospital that they could come back, that they know they could call the care manager to arrange the things. Because these elderly know that what they learned with stories, so the stories tends to last longer in their cognitive ability. And although I grew up in Japan, each rural area, like you said, dialects is different and how we talk is different. So when I did a research, I tend to speak formally to the rural elder in Kawanehoncho mm-hmm. to show the respect. But the look that those municipal welfare workers, how the how they use it, they, they grew up in a Kawanehoncho, so they know how to use their local dialect naturally. At the same time, I think the way they do a nonverbal communication, they tends to see lower than the elderly. So they are trying to take a stance that they are trying to learn from the elderly as well. So they are teaching something really friendly with stories and they create this atmosphere that it's all right to make a mistake. And they will say, I'll make a mistake too. At the same time, they ask questions about how to grow cucumbers or how to grow things. Mm. How to, so they have this learning and teaching is taking simultaneously in these activities. Yeah, the that that's a that's a really great observation too. That the the interaction that I've often seen does not take on that kind of sort of stereotyped Japanese formality that you know typically we associate with more urban life in Japan. Things are are much more leveled. Um, sometimes for very pragmatic reasons. I remember uh, taking my um, grandmother-in-law to a clinic. Uh, years ago, a long time ago. And uh, her first name was um, Keiko. And so um, the uh, nurse came out and said, Keiko-san. And I was like, wait a minute. You know, why didn't you call her Sato-san? Because that's how you talk in Japanese. And so when my grandmother-in-law came out, I... um, I asked her and she said, oh, yeah, well, that's because like everybody around here's last name is Sato. So they just go by first names because everybody would stand <laughs> up if they call Sato. Mm-hmm. But there is this kind of more familiar, relaxed environment in, in a lot of the rural areas in terms of how they, they generate this. And I think it's it's really fascinating what you describe is that the the efforts that the workers, you know, the healthcare workers go through to... Um, engage older people to understand what's available to them in ways that make sense. You know, I think that's, that's really interesting. I, I've been struck in Japan. It's not, I mean, the healthcare system's complicated in Japan, but it's not complicated like it is in the U S partly because you have a single payer system. So, you know, the long-term care insurance program, there, there are a lot of different programs related to it, but it's, it's structured, in terms of how the government does things. And I think that's actually a real problem with the American system. In a sense, there are just way too many options. So it's really hard for people to get their head around what they have available to them. And, and I think, um, you know, and it would be hard for care workers to provide that information because there's just too much. It's, it's very difficult to control it. Um, you talk about one of the programs you talked about, I think I was really interested in was the um, Carers Cafe. You described this in the book. And, and um, when I was doing work in, on aging in rural Japan in the early 2000s, there was just a, a really common concern about the, you know, there's the issue of the health of the, the individual, you know, him or herself. But there's also the, the concern about the health impact on family care workers um, who have older family members at home, and particularly women who are predominantly the ones who provide care, although that's undergone some change in recent years, but still. Um, And, you know, the expectation that women in particular, they've got to take care of grandma and grandpa, but then they've also got to do everything else too. They got to clean the house and do the cooking and do the shopping and all this. And um, there, you know, been many cases where women have been hospitalized with exhaustion because they just can't handle it all. Um, and so I, I thought that was interesting how um, the Carers Cafe seems to be designed to try to address this kind of issue. And so could you talk a bit about the activities of the cafe? And um, also, how do you think the, you know, the creation of the long-term care insurance program in 2000 has maybe, maybe contributed to stimulating the creation of new services? Um, 
is, you know, in my experience, there are things that emerged right after this that really weren't there, like group homes for Alzheimer's patients and this sort of thing. And so um, I'd like you to talk a bit about this Carers Cafe and then, you know, what kind of new programs the long-term care insurance program stimulated. So long-term care insurance service definitely helped to alleviate the family burden, but a lot of them, they cannot institutionalize, they'll come back. So nighttime and every time they need to take care of the elderly. So long-term care insurance reduced the burden of the care, care of the family, caring of the family members by providing service like home, home help or day service or short stays, but they'll come back home and it's going to be a woman's job to take care of the elderly. And they do not go farther to support the caregiver's health. Mm -hmm. So they help the care, they alleviate the caregiver's health, but they do not check on the caregiver's health. So the elderly, in Kawanehoncho elderly, especially elderly women tends to think that caring somebody is their given social role. So they are less Mm -hmm. likely to complain or they are less likely to talk to somebody in public. So their work is also unrecognized by others and they keep everything to themselves and which is quite stressful. So Carers Cafe is like a kind of creativity of the municipal welfare workers and a lot of volunteers supporting the elderly, listening to the voices of the elderly, that they need to have just a space to let those elderly come, elderly caregivers come and speak up whatever have in their mind. So there's no much goal in this Carers Cafe, but there are so many community centers that was built for the children, but there's no children, so so there are so right. many community centers. And there's a local hot spring for local people. So it started as a small group that the caregivers just come to take a break by coming to the local hot spring. Mm. And just the municipal care workers was just there. They're not trying to teach anything, and they were just trying to take their blood pleasures and talk with everyday conversations and and they started to kind of let out their feeling of like, I can go to sleep at night because my husband wakes every 10 minutes or I can't carry anything anymore and I don't know who to ask. So it well, it became kind of a way that more and more people joined the Kerala's Cafe. So there's more increase because word to word, people realize this is a place that you can get away from the caregiving role. And not only being away from the caregiving role, you could talk about issues. So they feel they started to realize it's all right to talk about something happening in a private arena to some somewhere like after the hot spring, they talk to each other and they complain. And that was a way to kind of reduce the stress. So Lolo Kaigo is one of the big problems that elderly taking care of the elderly is one of the significant issues in Japanese society. And it's still, it's a role more likely to be in a rural area, it's a norm that caregiving the responsibility of family members, members, especially women. So it's hard for them to take a break if there's no opportunities like this. Right. So when I was visiting a caregiver's cafe, when I was about to leave, there's this one woman in her 70s, she just came with a big smile in her face and she said, now I can talk with everybody. And now I talked with somebody who are not not family members. Now I can go back with a smile to talk with my husband. So just talking with somebody, being a caregiver is such a big job and being unrecognized. So it started as just a way to talk to one another. And that program continues because it has so much benefit to the caregivers. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, it's important. You can see also how the culture is changing. Um, So when I was doing most of my research, you know, that was 20 years ago or more, 25 years ago. And so you had people who had been born and raised prior to the war. They did not talk about things with other people. That was simply not part of what was acceptable. You bottled it all up. And you, you didn't complain, you didn't whine, you didn't, you know, there was no sense of if you just dealt with your burdens, that was it. And you can see you've got the post-war generation is, I think, more as they're getting older and, and you know, younger generations are getting older, you're seeing more of a willingness to have contexts like this where people can talk and release stress. And it's not viewed as just, oh, you're whining, you're complaining or this sort of thing, but it's a good way to communicate the difficulties that come with, you know, caring for someone nonstop. It's a very stressful experience. And so um, you talk about the concept of 
Otagai-sama and its relationship to the creation of mutual trust and reciprocity. And I think this is an example of, of you know, this, um, this ability in now to talk with each other, you know, contributes to that. And I think this is a, you know, it's a really important observation. It reflects larger values in Japanese culture that are related to the sense that people see each other as having reciprocal obligations. And so it's really important to develop this sense of mutual, you know, trust. And um, I'm, you know, how do you think these types of values influence, you've talked a little bit about it, the, the experiences of older people in rural areas. And um, are there any negative impacts from this kind of reciprocity and this sort of emphasis on, on interdependence like this, that, that people might experience, you know, cause it, we talked a little bit about that, you know, you can be kind of set aside if you don't want to participate in that, but you know, what other kind of, um, you know, are there negative things that you might associate with this? So that's a really good, interesting question because last year I was interviewed to talk about OK Boomer, which is mm-hmm. happened in, a, a, I think, Western media by young people. They start to use the word OK media and it doesn't happen in my rural town. So I was really interested in reading several articles about it. And I talked about generational gap is one of the factors creating somebody who use a phrase like OK Boomer. And in a children in Kawane Honcho, it's almost impossible for them to use those words because children in Kawane Honcho have a grandparents or the people who could play the role of grandparents as a, because the elderly often visit the locals to school to teach crafts and folk tales. Mm-hmm. And because green tea farming is a big part of the Kawane Honcho, so when it comes to green tea picking time, the children go to the farm and help them pick. Mm-hmm. So... It's like throughout the daily lives, there's a otagai, some of the elderly going to help the children to teach about folk, tale, folk tales and uh, uh, crafts, and the children help the elderly. So it's kind of in an education system, in a local mm-hmm. education system that they helped one another. And because the town is full of elderly, so there's so many opportunities for the young people to interact with the elderly. So they kind of... When I talk with the young people, it's really hard to find the young people in a Kawane Honcho, but when I happen to find them when they come for the volunteer, they're really good at talking with the elderly. They know how mm. to physically and verbally and assist the elderly. And it's the skills that urban people who are growing up in a nuclear family do not have. Mm-hmm. And I met a family who moved from the city near Tokyo to Kawane Honcho because they love mountains. And they run a bakery. And when I went to interview this young couple who have a very young children, the young children came and sit on the lap of the local elderly. And the little kids called him Gigi, which is grandpa. Mm-hmm. So these chickies know that these elders kind of babysitting them for free, but they know that these elders are helping them, so they're going to help them in return. So in everyday life, there's otagai summer in daily interactions throughout the life course. So in relationship to explaining, in, when I ask about relationship with others, many of them use the word otagai summer, getting older, is the path they're going to take. Or because somebody helped me when I was young, that's why I'm going to help you. So that's a lot of people helped me to do the interview because my kids needed help and somebody helped me. So I'm Mm going to help you to return it. So Otagai-sama is like a generalized reciprocity without any expectation of any return. So I'm going to help you, but you can help others. And they give vegetables and take care of the children of their neighbors and offer green tea and snack when I visit because everybody's on the same boat and living in the same community. So there's not only the life course, but it's like not the elderly stage, but throughout the life course, there's the Otagai summer, intergenerational communication, intergenerational communication that children help the elders and elder helps the children in a community. And that is one of the factors I believe that the town has a really low case of COVID. Because of the mm-hmm. COVID, my publication goes extended and i have time to look at the COVID cases because the town has full of elderly i was so worried because it's really attacks COVID 19 really attacks the elderly and last time i checked there are only four cases of COVID 19 mm-hmm. since the beginning of the pandemic one of the reasons is that 
younger one really concerned about the elderly because they know that they are the resources. They are the one who helps them when they are young. So they care one another. And that also has another positive outcome, which is extremely low crime rates. Yes. When people care about one another, there's really low crime rates. And some of the rural areas I visit in United States, it looks like a ghost town because there's only elderly. But in Kawane Honcho, the public spaces like parks and near the banks, there are always some volunteers to help them to keep them clean. But again, the people in a local people are comfortable being dependent or help another based on the spirit of Otagai-sama. It's making outsider hard to join the circle. Right. Or when the elderly become alone and they cannot do something in return to other people, they start to feel guilty that yep. they help me a lot, but I cannot do something for them. So that could be some negative outcomes. Yeah, I think that's where the, the, the sort of burden avoidance value in Japan tends to kick in, where, okay, people are helping me, but I can't help them back. So then they start to withdraw mm-hmm. from the help because they feel like they can't return it, even though it's not demanded. But you're not supposed to burden people. So, you, you you know, it becomes, you know, ultimately, it's a really good value. But even in, in that, you know, in that situation, you can wind up with situations where people wind up feeling isolated because they can't participate in it the way that they would like to participate in it. I I think you, 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 you know, point out, I think, a really interesting uh, observation about COVID. Um the town where I do my research also has had virtually no cases. Um, I think they've probably had three or four altogether at this point. And, and I think that is related to this concept. I think people are watching out for each other. They're also very, very cognizant of not doing things that they think might spread it. So, you know, you don't have resistance to wearing masks. You don't have resistance to getting vaccines. Not because people are, you know, part of it is their their own concern about their own health, but part of it is they just don't want to, you know, spread this to somebody else. And so they're thinking in terms of the needs of other people. And that's how I see this Otagai-sama mm-hmm. concept is that you're always thinking about the needs of the other person. And that translates into things like doing proper things, you know, in, in a pandemic, um, mm-hmm. because that's that's how you function. Everything's going back and forth. And so if everybody does that, mm-hmm. you don't have problems. And so, and that's what I've seen. I, I, I um, did a, a small study um, through Zoom with folks in, in my area. And um, that was very much a part of how they were representing what they're doing is that, you know, they're just, they're looking out for each other and they're doing that by wearing masks, by getting vaccinated when they can. Unfortunately, in Japan, the out the rollout of the vaccine has been kind of slow and somewhat troubled and that's created some problems but people have cooperated with it and so yeah i think that's that's very much in this this value um you talk later on in the book um about you know this is i think an interesting phenomenon of course people are moving around in japan more than they used to be and um so you know, you just mentioned the point you get you know newcomers can feel like they're maybe a little bit outside if they come in uh, they're not necessarily part of these networks of, of reciprocal obligations when they move in. Um, and, you know, they may be retired and caring for elder parents, even if they grew up there, they were away for a long time. And you, you note that it can be difficult to engage these types of people in the local programs. They're maybe a little more hesitant. Um, and so, you know, I was wondering that the, the extent to which these people, you know, many of who've spent almost all their lives living in in urban areas, they've had pretty cosmopolitan lifestyles, maybe have traveled to large parts of the world, um, but they haven't grown, you know, they haven't grown through most of their life being deeply embedded in a community. And, you know, are they interested in these programs? Do they resist these programs? Do they, you know, how do they, how do they adjust to coming into this kind of very tight-knit community when they've been maybe away from it for 40 years. Um, and, you know, also I, I think I'd, I'd be interested if I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of trying to predict the future. Humans are just way too complicated. Um, but I am interested in, in, in this, in this case, because 
part of what's happening in rural Japan is that the population is, it's just, it's declining so quickly that the, the, just the number of people available to do things is going to really change. So I, I, I'd be interested in your sort of projections out for maybe the next 10 or 20 years about, you know, what do you think is going to happen in terms of providing care and these kinds of programs that, that develop this or encourage or support this in, interdependence? Okay, very good question. So when I talked with older adults, I heard about, although they grew up in a Kawane Honcho, they have hesitancy to attend the same um, program with their parents because they wanted to get away from their parents. So some of the older adults is creating their own program. It's interesting. The program I observed, 70 is very, very young. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are in the 80s. And some of them are in the 90s. So for the 90s, 70 looks like a kid's. And their kids, like 60s and 50s, after retirement, they wanted to do something with their friends, but they don't want to join something they're going to consider themselves as babies. So they started to create their own uh, groups called Ibasho, so they could Mm -hmm. have a place to be together. So they like to do karaoke, but the songs they do karaoke is different from their parents. So they do karaoke or they'll do the more... uh, competitive physical activities like soccer or baseballs, and they do more physically demanding activities. So they are creating new activities, but the newcomers is very new return migrant. It's really hard for me to talk with these return migrants and mm-hmm. whether they're going to join this program going to be a big question because like you said, they experience outside and they are exposed to so much different diversity and whether they wanted to join this program is really a one big question so one of the things i wanted to do is to i hope to keep observing these programs to see somewhere there might be a generational shift or mm-hmm. there might be a big revision in a program because there are more diversity among people who wanted to join and I agree with you. It's really hard to predict population. And population aging is a really long-term process. Like instance, like one-child policy in China, which started around the time I was born. But now it is causing more problems 40 years later about the caregiving issues in China. So Japan's post-war fertility decline will continue to influence. Japanese fertility hasn't gone up. So it's going to continue to influence Japan for a very long time, like the population size is going down. And uh, rural areas going to influence more significant trees than urban areas. And in one of my journal publications, I talked about noticeable proportion of never-married men in rural areas. Yes. And that's influenced by this family, traditional family system in Japan that eldest son feel more greater responsibility to succeed a family grave and the family uh, homes and the names. So they are more likely to stay home. And in the past, eldest son was really one of the like a top guy to get married because they have house and they have security. But today, many young women who got educated and living in an urban area, they wanted to stay that lifestyle. So there's an increasing number of never married men in rural areas. And when I talked with an elder in Kawane Honcho, one of their concerns is my son came back to take care of me or my daughter come back to take care of me on the weekends. But my biggest concern is who's going to take care of them when they get older because they are already in the 60s. So not only in rural Japan, but 80-50 problem is like one of the big problems in Japan where middle-aged people who are secluded from the society is dependent on an elderly parent's pension. And they are so worried that what's going to happen to their kids? And there is increasing number of never married men, women in Japan as a reflection of social change. But what's going to happen to who going to take care of them? Right now, we still have these family norms that the family, the spouse and the children take care of the elderly. But when they get older in a depopulated rural areas, who going to take care of these never married singles when they get older is one of the big problem that rural towns, a lot of rural towns going to face in the future. Yeah, that's... Um... That that old pattern of the the eldest son kind of mm-hmm. being in a privileged spot really doesn't operate much anymore in terms of actual experience. I, I once was having a conversation with a guy who said that he he was on a date with someone in in the Tokyo area and and they got chatting and 
you know, their family background came out <laughs> and it came out that he was the eldest son of a farm in, in northern Japan. And she got up and walked out on him right on the spot. <laughs> I was like, there's no point in having a conversation. This isn't going anywhere. And, and you know, but that, that, that the image of that role in society has changed dramatically in Japan. And there are a lot of, you know, 50, 55 ish um, single men in rural areas who are not going to get married. And, and there also, of course, is a very large number of single women in their 50s, 60s, 70s now who are not going to get married. And, and that, that, yeah, I think that when we think to the future, that's probably the one of the biggest concerns or problems that rural areas and eventually I think urban areas will face to some extent too, is that there are just a lot of people that don't have the traditional structure to take care of them in old age. So they're going to have to find other ways to deal with it. They're going to have to figure out how to um, depend on their peers or, you know, age peers and that sort of thing, because the children just aren't there. Uh, I think, you know, the, the length of time, that Japan has had relatively low fertility. It, it always, you know, kind of strikes me is that Japan dropped below replacement back in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a, it's a really long period of time that, that there haven't been enough children produced to replace the population. And now we're seeing the, the, the real outcome of this and, and mm-hmm. that's going to continue for quite some time. Um, this is a, I think it's a really important study, and there's a, there's a lot to take away um, from this related to the experience of growing old in rural Japan, which, you know, as you, you pointed out, it, it, this is happening in other places. You can find towns in the U.S., rural towns, where there are very few young people, people out-migrate. So, you know, the, the, the contexts are different, but these patterns are happening in a lot of places. And we've really only touched on the surface of this. Um, I wanted to conclude by asking you, is there anything you'd like to add to our conversation that we haven't covered, things you think our listeners ought to know about um, your work or about rural Japan? I think more in the future, the rural community is becoming a really important issue when it comes to discuss aging. I teach social gerontology course, and we teach this concept of CCRC, which is continuing care retirement communities. And in the United States, there are increasing number of these continuing care retirement communities. There's a lot in Nevada, and there's a lot of in Florida. And these are retirement communities specifically designed for the elderly. And these are targeted for the very wealthy people because they're quite expensive to enter CCRC. And the Kawanehoncho is a good example of NORC, Naturally Occurring Retirement Community, which is a town became more elderly-friendly as a result of the process of population aging in the town. So there is emerging lots of NORC, not only Kawanehoncho, there's a lot of NORC, Naturally Occurring Retirement Community in Japan. And there was an idea from the government to build CCRC, Continuing Care Retirement Community, in Japan recently, and there are several emerging cases but people's reaction when I talked with them is a ubaste or obaste. In Japan, oh. in an old folktale, leaving elderly to somewhere else is a big something you shouldn't do. It's a socially deviating. So right. one of the arguments of creating CCRC is a big obaste, leaving the elderly somewhere because they are no longer useful to the society. So I don't think CCRC is going to increase rapidly as in the United States. And in the United States, I also see emerging number of naturally occurring retirement community because people wanted to age in a community. They don't want to get away from the community. So either way, aging in a NORC, NORC, or a CCRC, in thinking about aging, either way, it's really important to think about community in the long term, to think about how that's going to influence the aging process in order to determine whether the successful or not looking at the community and the lifelong process. Yeah, that's, uh, that's an interesting transfer because of course, obaste was a term used for nursing homes mm-hmm. and, um, and, you know, f- so our listeners understand that the, the word literally refers to a mountain for throwing out granny. That's what it literally means. And it, it refers to a folk tale um, in which, 
at either the age of 60 or 70, depending on the version. Uh, the eldest son was responsible to carry his mother or father up to the top of this mountain and deposited them there to die. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that image has often been associated with any kind of institutional structure like a nursing home or like these kinds of communities that seem to isolate off older people from the larger um, community and, and social context as though they're being discarded. Um, and so that's very interesting to me that that, that perspective is, is now being transferred into this next generation of, of approaches to doing things. I, uh, I hadn't actually imagined that. So that's, uh, that, that's a, a really nice piece of learning for me. Sorry, my computer suddenly decided that's all to right. go nuts here. Um, so, um, I wanted to, you know, just kind of close by thanking you very much for taking the time to join me on the Japanese Studies Channel. Um, the successful aging in rural community in Japan is, I think, a really significant contribution to the study of aging in Japan. And in fact, I think uh, I'm really delighted to see this because there there were, was quite a bit of study done 20 years ago, and then it kind of slowed down a bit. And I think it's really important to come back to this and think about, okay, where are we now 20 years later? Uh, because a, an awful lot has changed in Japan, and you really capture this very nicely in the book. And and so, but I think it does more because you really reconsider the nature nature of rural environments in terms of experiencing the process of aging and what depopulation is about. And and I, I think I really appreciate the fact that that there's kind of a bias towards negativity with this that isn't really appropriate. It doesn't really show. I mean, it's not that everything's great and rosy. But there are a lot of good things going on as well. And, and I think that the, the book really captures that. So um, this is a, an important book. And I think it's, you know, anybody interested in gerontology or rural studies should take a look at it, whether they focus on Japan or not. And so I uh, want to thank you very much for uh, joining me on the uh, New Books Network. Thank you so much. 